Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast, and thank you so much for joining us as we seek to establish Christ followers who live in obedience to God's Word and make an impact in their community and the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, Pastor Brad continues in his sermon series titled Counter Culture as he speaks on being able to survive a godless culture and how to take a stand. Are you ready to make an impact for Christ? The time is now. Welcome back to the front lines for Jesus, who is excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Come on. Amen. So glad you're here with us today as uh, we bring a special closing and land the plane on a sermon series that we've been in now for 16 weeks. So glad you're here worshiping with us. We know that we started out toward the beginning with a second sermon in this series where we called it the Eternity Bowl. And we went into what absolute truth versus relative truth looked like. And that we said that this wasn't a game because eternity was in the balance. So we have brought this to a complete kind of closure here today with a message that really is going to point us to the fact is knowing what God's Word says now definitively about all these subjects, all these issues we've been through, how do we stand In other words, will you and I choose to be a survivor in a godless culture? Because now we have the truth. And back at the beginning, look at the very first message, and we said, why a sermon series like this? And we looked at Ezekiel 33, and it, and it said how the watchman was to see, and if he saw the sword coming, that he was to sound the alarm and warn the people. And if the people didn't heed that warning, then the blood was on their hand, and their life would be taken from them because of their sin. But if the watchman saw the sword was coming but did not sound the alarm, the people would still have their life taken from them because of their sin. So it doesn't let you off the hook. But also the watchman would be held accountable by God for their blood. That's why we've had this series. Because there's too many people being deceived in a godless culture and by a a, a spineless pulpit of the 21st century American church that doesn't want to preach the whole and complete word of God anymore, that people are being deceived and led astray. So that's why we've sounded the alarm, if you will. Here's what God's word says. So now today, we follow and look at the very words of Jesus on his call for us to be a survivor. A survivor in a godless culture. If you remember... Um, I guess the show still goes. I don't know if it does or it doesn't. Years ago, it was popular, a show by the name of Survivor. Y'all remember that? Y'all remember this picture? They have a picture of that old logo they show up. Remember that? Where they put these people a lot of times on an island with no resources, and they were all together, and and many times they had to kind of act like they were friends with each other, other, and they were really not, because at the end, it's just one person left, all right? So you see the logo, the slogan was outwit, outplay, outlast. Well, you see, spiritually, God wants us to be a survivor. And although the theme is similar, we don't have to outwit and outplay because this isn't a game. All right? We do have to outlast. And how we outlast spiritually is done through the power of God and the Holy Spirit of the one and only true God in our life. And thus, because of his presence in our heart and in our life, we now have the ability to stand on the truth of God's word. Make no mistake, you have no ability to stand on God's word without the spirit of God in you. You will fail. You will not be a survivor. Jesus is going to allude to that here as we look in this passage. So now after 16 weeks, we've been in a lot. We know definitively what the Lord says and what the Bible says about some of the toughest, most divisive issues in our culture and in facing our church today. We know what the Bible says about human sexuality, about homosexuality, about transgender, abortion, the church and politics, drugs, alcohol, you name it, we've been through it. Everything that the world says you shouldn't speak from the pulpit, we've done it. You know, because it's a common theme, there's three things really you don't speak on in church, right? And that's sex, politics, and alcohol. We've hit all of them. Why? Because the Bible talks about all of them. 
And I hope you've heard truth. And I hope it's really enlightened you to what God's word says. So now as we put all that together and are still faced in a culture that tries to pull us another direction, how do we stand? That's what we want to look at today. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 verse 40, as Peter's talking there to the, the church as the church is really getting going and, and he's told them how, how God has made Jesus the Christ, that he is the Messiah. And they were cut to the heart with the gospel, the Bible says. And they were pleading out and he said, repent and be baptized. And after that he said, save yourself from this corrupt, and the NIV says perverse, generation. I want you to think about that. He said, save yourself from this corrupt or perverse generation. How do we do that? What does that look like? How do we make a stand? Because so many times the Bible tells us to stand strong, that in our, our time of evil comes to stand firm, to not waver. So in the light of that, we now have a new theme. So here's the message for today is entitled Survivor. And here we have a different slogan spiritually because our picture looks like this for our sermon today. If we bring that picture up. It's Survivor and our theme is to outtrust, outstand, and to outlive. What does that look like spiritually? How do we look to shine the light of Christ in the darkness as a survivor for Christ in a godless culture? Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And Lord, we're here to magnify you, to lift you up. Lord, because we know your word says that when your name is, is lifted up high, Father, that you draw all men into yourself. So Father, as your word is presented today, Lord, I just want to hide behind the cross. I don't want to be seen or heard. Lord, I want people to hear and see you. Lord, because your word changes lives. So, Father, I pray that as we hear specifically from your words today, Lord, in a message that you gave to your disciples, Lord, that we would hear that word today and we would be obedient doers of your word and not just hearers only, that we would see the gravity of this, the importance of what it looks like to survive in a godless culture and what that means and what that looks like. Father, that, Lord, we could not just survive ourselves, but we could encourage our kids to be survivors that we could encourage other people around us to be spiritual survivors. And Lord, that other people would see Christ in us and eternity would be changed forever because of you and who you are. Lord, use us, use your word today as you always do to make an impact that changes lives for eternity. Lord, we give you all the glory for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24 in our passage today that we're looking at from the words of Christ is in verses 9 through 14. So Matthew chapter 24 verses 9 through 14 and it's the end of a passage that we alluded to a little bit uh, somewhat last week when we talked about false teachers and whatnot and what we're in here is where the disciples have come to Jesus and asked him what are the signs of the end times? How we know when the end is near, okay? It's, it's a, a passage here, a representation, a, a, a presentation from Jesus called the Olivet Discourse, all right? So let's look at that and what Jesus' words here at the end, because after he had told them, be careful no one deceives you and, and there will be wars and rumors of wars and all this, let's look at what Jesus says starting in verse 9. He says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Go ahead and circle that verse, underline it, highlight it, whatever you got to do. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. That's being a survivor. Jesus has called us to be a survivor. 
And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. What's Jesus saying right there? End times ain't going to be easy. Buckle up, cupcake, right? It's going to get tough. It's not going to be a walk through the playground in the park and, and everybody singing kumbaya. It's going to get tough. And some people are going to fail. Some people are going to fall away. Why? Because they don't really have and possess the Jesus they say they have. That's why. So, do you profess Jesus or do you possess Jesus? Because that'll make the difference as to whether you survive here in the end. That's Jesus' words, not mine. Very, very, very poignant passage of Scripture today to this, to this verse and to close this series today. Because we see what Jesus is saying is, is hey, Basically, with all these trials and tribulations and the end time's going to be hard, basically what he's saying is you're not the home team anymore. And it's hard to play on the road. It's hard to win on the road. Why? Because it's just a few of you. In this huge stadium, if you will, with 100,000 screaming fans screaming against you. And it's just you and your boys locked in arms doing what you've been taught to do, right? It's hard to win on the road. And that's why so many teams have trouble. It's because it's hard, because everybody's screaming in opposition. And it's easy to get down when things go bad and don't go your way, and it's easy to get discouraged and want to quit. But God is encouraging us today to stand strong, that those who endure to the end will be saved, that there's victory ahead, if you will, for those who truly possess Christ, no matter what the circumstances they look like that you're in. Unfortunately, too many people, when they're on the road and in the away stadium, they want to try to change their jersey. They want to match the team that's being cheered for so that they can be applauded and uplifted and feel good about themselves as well. So they do so at the expense of their commitment to Christ. And they give up on the truth and their identity that they know they have or could have in Christ. So, question is, do you go to church or are you the church? Do you believe in God or do you believe God? I want you to think about that. Does he move every bit of you to trust him, to live for him, to stand for him. Man, that's the call today. We know that if you live like this, as Romans 3 verse 4 would say, that if you believe God to be true and every man to be a liar, and you take a stance like this and you believe that the Bible is the infallible, unerrant word of God and it is just as applicable to today as it was the day it was written, if you take a stand like that, you're not going to be very popular. You're going to be ridiculed. You're going to feel pretty lonely at times. The Bible says only those who stand will be saved. So, although it's easier to change your jersey, what will you do? Will you stand strong to what Christ has called us to and to be? Because unfortunately, too many want to be accepted, confirmed, and embraced by the culture now. Even pastors, churches, giving up on what God's word says to be embraced by the culture and applauded by man at the expense of their commitment to Christ and their calling. So, do we seek to be praised and applauded by the culture at the expense of our commitment to Christ? Or do we stand? And how do we stand? What does it look like? So we see our call from Christ here to stand, to endure. But is there a biblical example for us to look at? You bet there is. It's a bunch of them, actually. But when I was praying and looking through, Lord, what is the best example to present today with this? Man, the Lord just took me back to the Old Testament. 
So what's beautiful today is we're going to see the Old Testament and the New Testament come together because it's all of God's word. So look with me in Daniel chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7 because we're going to see an example here of some young men that stood and endured to the end in a godless culture, no matter what they were about to face. Daniel chapter 1 and we're going to read verses 1 through 7. All right, you got it? Here we go. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem to bes- and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into, and into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand." who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. What does all that mean? Let's look, all right? Because there's a huge message that ties in with Matthew chapter 24 and Jesus' words today. So in this picture here in Daniel, we see that God's judgment is falling on Judah because of their rebellion, that they turned their back on God. So the Bible says definitively there that the Lord gave them over. Did you see that? Man, that sounds familiar, doesn't it, in the world we live in? That because of rebellion and our turning our back on God, that God gives people over, gives nations over to the sin which they choose. And oh, how we're living in that time. But here we're going to see some people that were not maybe responsible for that rebellion, that did not take part in that rebellion themselves, but they're caught up in the midst of it. Now that should start to sound really familiar to a lot of us because we have a different mindset, we have a different belief, we have a different stance in our heart, but yet we're caught up in the midst of a godless culture and in a country who's turning their back on God, even though that's not what we would want for it ourselves. So here we have this King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon from around 605 B.C. to around 563 B.C. And he conquered Judah, destroying Jerusalem in around 586 B.C., which was prophesied by Jeremiah in chapter 25 of that book. All right? So we see God's word and prophecy again coming together. The Lord said this was going to happen. And here's the picture. Some of the inhabitants of Judah were taken back to Babylon as captives after it was conquered. I want you to get that picture, all right? Because that's so important, including these young men that was just described in this passage. So this is what I want you to think about. So now these people, and specifically these young men that we're going to talk about, were taken from God's land, and they were placed in Babylon. The enemy's land, if you will. All right, so they were taken out of the home stadium where everything was comfortable, fine, and they were being cheered on and everything was cool. And they were put into the away stadium where they were getting booed for who they were and wanting to be changed. Do you get that picture? So that's the environment now that these young men are in. And I would argue that's the environment that we find ourselves in in the year 2021 in this world. That this is not the home stadium anymore. We're in the away stadium and we're being booed. And we're being 
tried to pull away from our faith in the truth of God's word and deceived into a false gospel, into a false message, and into a different way of thinking. That's where these young men were. All right? So we've got that picture. And now we see that they started this process of brainwashing. Did you get that in the passage? That they were going to start teaching them the way of the Chaldeans. They were going to start teaching them something opposite from what they had been taught before and what they thought to be true. So how do we, knowing that we're in a very similar situation in where we are, keep from being brainwashed? All right? I want you to think about that. Because in every facet of our lives, we have things trying to pull us away from the truth of God's word. If you flip on the news every day, that is an anti-God establishment that is pulling you away little by little. I know there's exceptions, and that's not um, maybe to say that there's not one or two out there that are different. But that is the norm across the board. You look at Hollywood. You look at music. You look at our government. You look at our school systems and universities. Anti-God establishments, again, not all of them, there are a few exceptions, but as a whole, anti-God establishments that want to teach you the way of the Chaldeans and pull you away from what you thought to be true. So how do we stand in that? We're going to get a good example right here. Are you ready? Because this is what God called us to be in Matthew 24. That's what he was speaking of when he talked about all this that we're going to come back to at the end that Jesus was referring to. When he said, endure to the end. What you think about that? So, we have this situation here where these young men are pulled out. They're put in this environment. And they're trying to be de-Israelized and pro-Babylonized, okay? They're trying to be de-spiritualized, all right? And pro-secularized. And that's what the world wants to do to you and I today. Gradually, slowly, little by little, chipping away, they want to despiritualize you and pro-secularize you, to change your way of thinking, to make you doubt God's word, to make you think that there's a, maybe we need to rethink this for our society today and draw a question on God's truth and who he is and his word. Satan's first attack and only attack is in your heart. So... They're going to be isolated and attempted to be re-educated, reprogrammed. He's going to try to give them a new identity. All right? And specifically, we see in verse 7 here where they're looking at the names. All right? When we see these names that were given to them and how they changed them. So what's the significance of that? Is there meaning to that? You betcha. You see, your name is your identity, right? I call you by your name, you call me by my name, I look up, that's who we are, right? On the back of jerseys and stuff, there's, there's the last name. We're known by our name, it's our identity. So when we look at these four young men that are described, we see that their names have meetings and are connected to faith in God. Young men, teenagers, probably around the age of 14. How many young men do we have in here right now today between the age of 13 and 17? Raise your hand. If you're between the age of 13 and 17, raise your hand. We have a few in here, right? So we're talking your age, guys. We know that Paul told Timothy, don't, look, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth. But set an example, right? So here we go. We're going to get an example set by these young men today. But their names had meaning and faith in God. If you look at the suffix, that's the ending of Daniel and Mishael's name. It ends with the, word, with the two letters E-L. And that suffix means Elohim, one of the names of God, right? So we know that there's meaning in their name. If you look at Azariah and Hananiah, the I-A-H suffix at the end of their name is short for Yahweh, the covenant name of God. So there's meaning in their name. If you look specifically at their name, the name Daniel comes from the Hebrew words and the uh, prefix din, which means to judge, and el, which we said was God at the end. It means God is my judge. That's Daniel's name. God and his identity was in his name. If you look at the name Hananiah, it means grace and mercy. If you look at the name Mishael, it means who is like God. The name Azariah means helped by God. Do you get the picture? 
very definitive divine godly identities. And so now they're moved into the away stadium and the attempt was now to change that identity. So upon arrival in Babylon, their names were changed. We see this passage alluded to the chief official of the eunuchs of Babylon gave them new names. Gave Daniel the name Belshazzar, Hananiah the name Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah the name Abednego. That's bad enough that you change their names. But there's even more significance in it than that. Because their names were not just changed to encourage them to forget their God and their traditions, but they wanted them to conform to the ways of Babylon. So each name that was given has a meaning associated with a different Babylonian deity, a false god, lowercase g. So when you look at the name that was given to Abednego, it means the servant of Nebo. If you look at Belshazzar, the name given to Daniel, it means Bel protects his life. Those are Babylonian false gods. So they've tried to take their name away from the one and only true God and put a false God in to change their identity. Forced assimilation into being in their society. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar, and ultimately fueled by an enemy, Satan behind it, wanted them to conform to the patterns of this world. But Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us to make our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, right? That's our true and proper act of worship. And then it says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So you see the difference of what the culture wants to do, fueled by an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and what God wants you to do. And that's move away from the patterns of worldliness and be transformed by the renewing of God's word. And the culture wants to separate you from that. So they had divine identity, and the culture and this anti-God government they were in wanted to change it. Let's keep that theme. But how were they doing it? What, were, what ways were they doing it? Besides just not changing their name, we look at verse 4, and the goal was to re-educate them, right? Take them to the University of Babylon. Babylon State. Going to get you an education. Full scholarship, three years for free. Come on in. We're going to teach you the way of the Chaldeans. And unfortunately, we see many people leave church in high school, go off to college, and drop out. Two-thirds of kids drop out of church when they go to college, and they lose their faith in God because they're taught by a secular teacher in a secular university, and they start putting doubt on the ways they were taught. And they despiritualize them and pro-secularize them. Boy, and this is applicable to today, isn't it? Don't you love God's word? So how do we stand? We get this example. They're being put in that university, in that situation, under that teaching, if you will. Okay? They wanted them to not think like an Israelite, but to start to think like a Chaldean, like a Babylonian. Forget their foundation. That's why it's so important for us also to, to know what our schools are teaching our kids. First, so that we can refute it with God's word and God's truth to strengthen them. But then also if we see any kind of weakness in them where they start to give, that we can pull them out of that environment. Make no mistake. That it's important that we know what's being taught to our kids, what books they're being made to read, what they're being taught. Praise God, some governor didn't get in in Virginia that thought that shouldn't be the case. Because they're wanting to despiritualize us, reprogram us. If someone were breaking in your house to steal your kids, would you stand and fight back? Or would you just pull the covers over your head and go back to sleep? You see, because if we don't care what's being taught and what's going on, essentially we've 
pulled the covers over our head and went back to sleep. But we're called to stand no matter what that looks like in your home. Whether you don't call 911, you dial 357, you know what I mean? Or whether you just get the old Louisville slugger out of the closet. And if that's all you got, I hope you got a great swing, by the way. But you got to do what you got to do, right? But you're going to protect your home. You're going to protect your kids. If somebody's coming in to steal that, you're going to stand. And now we have to make a stand today because there's an enemy and a godless culture who wants to steal the identity of our kids and move them in a new direction. So we got to make a stand. They were trying to re-educate them. Verse 5, they went deeper and they tried to be their provision now. That they were going to be employed and fed by the government now, right? That we're going to give you everything you need. You don't need to depend on God anymore for your provision. You can depend on the government. We're from the government. We're here to save you. Lord, help us. Because if you give the government permission to feed you, you also give the government permission to starve you. So they wanted to own them, wanted to re-educate them, reprogram them, rename them, and own them in a sense. Hey, you keep falling in line and doing what you're supposed to do, we're going to keep giving you some money, giving you some food, the best of the best. You can be one of the boys. You can be popular. You can hang out with us. And for those really searching for their identity, it's so easy to fall for that. So, knowing what was going on and the tactics that were being used, and we see a lot of that similar in our society today, now how do we stand? What did Daniel do? What did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do in this culture? Well, let's look. Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. It's going to give us a beginning picture of this. Verse 8 says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the, into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. What did Daniel do? He started in his heart, resolved in his soul and through his actions that he was going to be a survivor. That he was not going to give in, that he was not going to compromise. So with our theme that we alluded to in our survivor message today, where we're not here to outwit, outplay, and outlast. We're here to outtrust, outstand, and outlive. The first thing Daniel did is he decided, I'm going to outtrust. I'm going to outtrust through Christ, his word, all right? How do we get that trust? How do we get that strength? First and foremost is through salvation, guys. To truly be saved, to have the spirit of the holy living God in you, that puts the desire in you to be different. That's what Ezekiel 36 says. By the way, I said last week Ezekiel 33 is not. It's Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. Cody Hudson pointed that out to me. I'm like, I'll make sure I change it next week, brother. Ezekiel 33 is the watchman saying, sound an alarm with the swords coming. But Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27 says that God will put a new spirit in you and a new heart. He's going to remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That he's going to put his spirit in you and now give you a desire to follow his laws. Do you see that? Your desire, my desire to stand for truth, to believe in truth, to out-trust comes from a holy God within us. It's not legalism. It's all through faith in God and the power of the Spirit in us. So because of that identity, that spiritual solid identity that Daniel had, he now had the, the even ability to stand. And it started with trusting God. Because we know it says Daniel decided, or it says he um, purposed in his heart. That's the word the NIV uses to resolve. He resolved in his heart. If you look at the definition of the word resolved, it means to definitively determine what you're going to do. It was set in his heart what he was going to do. It was not going to change. 
So we get that message right off the start because why? Because Daniel knew God's word to be true. He knew Exodus 34 said, don't eat the food that's offered to false idols. He knew the Leviticus law, the Levitical law in chapter 11 that said some food was unclean. So he trusted and believed God's word to be true. And he had already said in his heart that that's what he was going to do. So our first message in this, in the out-trust, is the stand that you make in public will always start in your heart and mind. You can write that down and take notes if you are. The stand that you are going to make in public will always first start in your heart and mind. This is the biblical example of that for Daniel. In the midst of this godless culture, in the midst of this false education, in the midst of this trying to be fed by the government, provided by the government to entice him in, he had already resolved in his heart that he was not going that direction. No matter what. That's where it starts. Have you done that? Have you committed totally your life to Christ where you know that God's word is true? You may not quite understand it all or have the answers for all of it yet that's not what it means but you trust and know through faith that God's word is true have you done that because if you have the spirit of God in you he's already moving in your heart that way regardless of how much you know or understand to this point you know God's word to be true then what did he do next we look through the end of verse 8 after he had resolved in his heart that he was going to do this, then what did he do? He made a stand. So now our second part, outstand, is he went public with his faith. He put action where his faith is. He knew in his heart what he wanted to do and what he was supposed to do, and then he wasn't scared to do it. What did he do? He went right to the chief of the Babylonian eunuchs, to somebody that probably could have laughed right in his face, or maybe even put him to death, so to speak. He chanced, he took a step out and chanced in faith to honor God. In other words, he wasn't looking for the applause of man. He wanted to honor God. He chose to be a survivor. He wanted to be known as a follower of God. So let me ask you, are you known as a follower of Jesus Christ? I don't mean are you known to go to church. Are you known by your conduct at work, at home, wherever on the ball field? Are you known to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you make a stand for the gospel? Or do you follow the ways of the world? Do you allow the culture to seep in so that you look more like them, so that you're more accepted by the world? Or do you stand out for Christ? Because if we choose to survive... We see from Daniel here, we need God's strength. And it's going to lead us to where we don't compromise. Because I want you to get the picture. He's in a secular school. He's in a secular workplace. But he's not going to compromise. He'll say, man, I'll go to your school. But it's not going to change the way I think. I'll work in your workplace. I'll be your best employee. I'll be your most dependable, hardest worker but I'm not compromising on my faith. I'll be your friend. I'll do for you what I can when I can, but I'm not compromising my faith. Have you done that? Is that your stand in the world? Do people know it? You may not be popular for it, but we see what ultimately is gonna happen when we make a stand like that. That's what the bigger picture is. Would you rather offend man than offend God. What does God do when we make a stand like that? We're going to see God didn't really truly intervene until Daniel decided to stand. That's beautiful. When he decided to stand, then we get verse 9, and it says, and God gave him favor. You see, he knew Daniel's heart, and then he saw that Daniel's heart resulted in a stand where he out-trusted and outstand, so now God's going to move in and help him outlive. Isn't that beautiful? It's all started through the power of God, through the Holy Spirit of God in his heart, and then when that action through obedience is manifested out, God grants favor. What does that favor look like? Because that's important. 
Too many people in America take the prosperity gospel view and says God's favor means I get things. I get blessings. Give me my blessings. It's not the favor that they get. If you read through verses 9 through 21 and even in the chapter 2, you'll see that the favor they got at first was health. That even though they were just going to eat vegetables and not all the finer foods and everything, that they were found to be healthier looking than the ones who ate the good stuff. Isn't that beautiful? God gave them health. What else did he give them? Gave them wisdom. The Bible says if you look through those passages, you could read that later. We don't have time to go through all of it in detail. But he gave them the knowledge of God's direction and the wisdom of God. To know the will of God. What's that end point of Romans 12, 1 and 2? When we make ourselves a living sacrifice and, and when we don't conform to the patterns of this world, but we transform our mind through God's. It says, then we will know God's will. He'll give us what we're looking for, our knowledge, our wisdom on the decisions that we make. So God grants favor and he puts it in the form of health and wisdom initially to let them outlive Think back of when Jesus said, he says, man, I am the vine and you are the branches, right? He says, remain in me and you'll bear much fruit." And he says, if you don't, what happens? You can do nothing. I want you to think about that. But if you remain in me, Jesus says, then I will remain in you and you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So Daniel now had God's favor because of his salvation, his trust in a holy God that he's made Lord of his life, and then through his walk of obedience to that. And God's favor comes upon him in a hostile environment. Don't have time to go through all the rest of it, but we know what happened to these four young men. If you go through and you look through all of this, you come to chapter 3, and there's this example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with them having a chance to make a stand, right? Where the king, Nebuchadnezzar, had made this golden image, and they had made this decree that everybody's supposed to, when they hear the music, you're supposed to bow down and worship it. And if you didn't, you were going to be thrown into the furnace. You know the story. So the music sounded. They didn't bow. Some people ratted them out, Right? king the king was like man i'm gonna give you one more chance when you hear the music this time you better get on your knees the music played mm. can't do it king can't dishonor god i don't care if i'm the only one standing i can't do it king got furious fire up the furnace seven times hotter threw him in it was so hot that the that the guards throwing them in died think about that you ever felt heat so hot that you felt like your skin started to burn? You weren't even in the fire? They died it was so hot, throwing them in. And then the king steps back. He's like, whoa, 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 man. Yo, didn't we throw three people in there? The dude's like, yeah, it was three. He says, but I see four. And the fourth is like the son of God. And Jesus was with these young men in the fire. You see, they made a stand in a godless culture, to do what was right, to not dishonor God. And God didn't remove him from the fire, but he stayed right there in the midst of him with it. Can we get that message today? God may not be removing us from the fire, but he's right in the middle with us as we stand for him. Because as we see through this example, that although they were not part of the rebellion that led for the fall of Judah, and they were just caught up in it, that they were born and appointed by God for such a time as that. And I want you to know today that you and I are born and appointed for such a time as this. Stop wallowing and, and then having a pity party about, oh, I can't believe we, we live in this time and culture. I wish it was 50, 60 years ago. Hey, that's easy to do. We're all human. But... Man up, woman up, God up, and know that you and I were placed here for such a time as this, to make a stand for him. Do you believe that and know it? So they chose, because of 
being out, their decision to outtrust, to outstand, to outlive. God granted them favor. God was with them in a fiery furnace. We know in Daniel's account in chapter 6, you can read that account. Now Nebuchadnezzar is removed. God had humbled him, taken him out in the wilderness. He had finally repented, all right, changed his heart and ways, moved on. His son Belshazzar comes in, evil, wicked, turns his heart from God, all right? Daniel interprets the dream. He ends up getting slain and killed. Now there's a new dude in charge named Darius, all right? Another king coming in. Daniel's still there. Look at that. I want you to get that. All the wicked government and evil, um, Nebuchadnezzar's gone, Belshazzar's gone. Who's still there? My boy Daniel. He's outlived them, right? He's outlived this wicked and godless culture. This is such a beautiful passage. And then he comes, we're here in, in King Darius, all right? And what happens there? Daniel's working in the government there, still in his job, standing for God, and they couldn't find any fault in him whatsoever. So how were they going to trip him up? They knew the only way to trip him up was to combine it with his stand for the Lord. So they say, hey, Darius, let's make it so nobody can bow to any other God but you. Mm. Uh-oh. What's Dan? What do you think Daniel's going to do? He's not going to give in. Call it religious freedom, if you will. <laughs> Something we're facing some today. When, when the times change and it's not popular to preach this word and stand for Jesus, what will you do? What will you and I do? What did Daniel do? He didn't compromise. There was people out to try to control his life and the way he thought and who he worshiped. There's people out today trying to control your life and the way you think and the way you worship. Will you give in or will you stand? So what Daniel do when the decree went out? The Bible says, if you can read that passage later in chapter 6, that Daniel, when he knew the decree went out, what did he do? He went and prayed like he always did. He didn't try to fake them out, Right? He didn't, try to, he didn't just go in the closet and pray where he was hidden. Or even though he had his windows open toward Jerusalem, the Bible said, he didn't go just try to pray while he was doing his dishes, right? He could have done that. Oh, Lord, this is just a hard time here. And nobody would have known he was praying. He didn't just pray while he was out washing his camel. <laughs> what did he do? He opened the Windows toward Jerusalem like he always done. And he got on his knees in front of that window and prayed out loud of that window like he always did. Knowing full well that people were watching and were going to call him out. Does that define you and our faith? Does it? Are you ready to make a stand like that? Or will you pray while you're doing the dishes in the closet while you're doing something different so nobody knows. Some people will say, well, I just got to keep my faith private. That is not biblical. It's not. You won't find that in here. Your faith is to be outward because our call is to be salt and light. And if you keep your faith private, you are not salt and light. Daniel opened the doors and prayed in the face of opposition. Is it clear that you represent Jesus? Is it clear? So oftentimes it's not clear who represents Jesus and who doesn't. It's not even clear sometimes what churches truly represent Jesus and who doesn't. They have all the right things on their website, but then when you go, like we saw last week, there's so many false messages and even partial truths being preached. Yes, they preach the Bible, but they don't preach the whole Bible. Because they're not sure, probably some of them, if even all of the Bible is true. And they're scared, even if they believe it's true, that if they preach it, that people are going to leave. So they don't tell of the sword that's about to be swung. They don't sound the alarm. And the blood of the lost will be on their hands. The Bible says in Ezekiel 33. So, with it not being clear in so many ways, let me be clear. All right? This church, as long as I'm here, as long as these elders that are in place are here, we're going to stand and we're not going to compromise on the Lord Jesus Christ and the truth of his word. Amen.
We're not going to apologize for it. We're not going to recant for anything that's been said according to the truth of God's word. I guess that means we'll instead be counterculture. But we're going to do so always with the spirit of speaking truth in love. We're not going to try to bring heat. We're going to bring light so that we can be salt that God uses to heal and that we can be the light that shines to bring people out of the darkness. That's what we want to be. That's what this whole sermon series has been about. So we see God has made them to thrive, to outlive. They physically outlive and look better than their peers when they honor God. They didn't bow down to the idols. God saved them from the midst of the fiery furnace, saved Daniel from the midst of the lion's den because he was thrown into the lion's den and man, Darius just didn't even sleep that night. And come up to the den the next morning, hey, Daniel, did your God save you? You bet he did. You bet he did. He closed the mouth of the lions, and I've been sitting here sleeping on this fluffy fur all night, man. It's been awesome. What do you think about that? And then so Darius flips it around, and the people that had ratted Daniel out, he throws them in, and they were devoured before they even hit the floor of the den. And then Darius made a decree, as Nebuchadnezzar made a decree from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that we will worship the God of Daniel. We will worship the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you see how things change when you make a stand? What could God do through you that he did through these teenagers? So we tie all this up and close it up with our passage from Matthew Chapter 24 with Jesus' words, where he basically said that our true Christian faith, our true walk with God, our true test of salvation would be tested with deception, false prophets, the increase of wickedness. And there'll be some who turn away because he said some of the love will grow cold. The implication here, those that stand firm to the end will be the minority not the majority. Very few will end up withstanding. If you look at that verse 9, Jesus said that you'll be hated by all nations because of me. We see that being manifested in so many ways through Islam and atheism across nations and even our own country who used to have a, a, a great moral foundation on Judeo-Christian values and ethics now turning away from that where it's not popular anymore. Hatred could be expressed in different ways like just radical secularization that we've seen in our schools and in our governments and in our culture where we used to honor certain morals and faith and biblical standards and principles and now they're stripping them away every time we turn around, removing them from the courthouses, from the schools, from job places, from everywhere. You can't have anything to do with God, especially Jesus. That's hatred toward God. Make no mistake. And that's the culture we live in. Jesus said that many will be offended. Sound familiar? <laughs> Betray each other and hate each other. And we've seen with everything on social media and websites and blogs, all the hatred and division that's happened over the past few years as things have seeped in, even inside the church where Satan is at work causing division over things. Mask, no mask, vaccine, no vaccine, open, close. Sound familiar? Making a, a black man try to be against a white man. And that's the push when all I see, when I go out in society, is I go to a football field and I see a, I see a black man and a white man hugging each other and high-fiving each other. And I go to restaurants and I see black people and white people eating dinner together and fellowshipping and having a good time. I see black people and white people going to church together. I don't see the hate that they try to push that's 100% out there. Don't get me wrong. There is evil out there in the heart of man through sin. But I promise you it's not the norm that they want you to think it is. And there's division through the enemy trying to make people be offended and come against each other and hate each other. Do you see the prophecy of God fulfilling in the end times? It's so clear. 
The Bible says many false prophets will be appearing, deceiving the masses. We had a whole message last week. If you missed it, I encourage you to go back and check it out where we looked at false prophets. And we talked about how Jesus, again, through his word, said that they would be like wolves in sheep's clothing. That means you're not going to be able to see them really well. You see, we thought a false prophet might be the, the very obvious type that's easily spotted or rejected. But it's not. Because if that were true, then many would not be deceived by them. I want you to think about that. That they're going to appear to have it all. That they're going to appear to be a strong man or woman of God. They're going to appear to have all the right answers and all the right sayings. And they're going to be popular. And they're going to be well-spoken. But they're going to have their lies and deceptions laced with Scripture so that it's easily swallowed especially by those who don't know the full word of God so that they can see the red flags to refute it. That's what Satan does, by the way. He wraps his heresies with scripture. And that's what these false prophets are doing that are leading many astray. And we know that that's what would happen in the end times. Paul told Timothy in the end days that people are not going to tolerate sound doctrine. They're going to run to the teachers who want to tickle their ears and make them feel good. And that's what we've seen through all the explosion in recent years of hyper grace teaching. Where somehow we think God doesn't even have the right anymore to be offended by our sin. That he's so much grace and mercy that he can't, he can't be opposed to sin anymore. That I can have my sin in Jesus too. That's not biblical. That's false teaching. Grace is free, but it's not cheap. His son went to the cross to die for it, to pay for that penalty. He didn't pay that penalty to give you a free ticket to sin. He paid that penalty to remove you out of your sin, to free you from the penalty, from the bondage and destruction that it causes. That's the gospel. But there's hyper-grace teaching that teaches otherwise and a prosperity gospel that we alluded to last week. And millions are being deceived, even with Bibles in their hands. That's what's so scary. And Jesus again even said, man, he said, there's going to come a time where men will no longer praise me. And, and what he meant was with their heart. Yeah, we're praising people across the nation. There's people packing stadiums and arenas with Jesus culture and Bethel music and everything we talked about. And the Lord said, the praise of me is on their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And that's what we see in our society. And false teaching is running rampant. And Jesus alluded to that here. Why? Because it's a whole lot easier to hear the, the ego-soothing messages of watered-down preaching Hyper-grace preaching. It's exciting. It's more desirable than the spirit and the gospel and the Bible's focus on self-sacrifice, surrender, obedience. If you look at verse 12, it says, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. I want you to think about that. With the increase of wickedness, think about everything we've talked about over the six past 16 weeks. With that increase of wickedness and acceptance and norm in society, the love of most will grow cold. And we've seen pastors, churches, people who call themselves Christians fall away from the truth, sound doctrine of the Bible and go with the culture. They'll pick the pieces out of this that they like and keep it, but try to remove the parts that don't fit the new norm in the times. But Jesus said in verse 13, only those who endure to the end will be saved. The statement's playing out before our eyes, guys. We're seeing a separation of the wheat and the chaff, of who the real authentic followers of Christ are and who are not. Because basically what Jesus isn't saying is somehow our salvation is dependent on if we stand or not. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if you stand is a true picture as to whether you're really saved or not. That's the difference. So if you've really saved, you've got a different heart. You've got a different spirit, a different way of thinking, and it prepares you to stand in a godless culture just like it did for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
That way we're not swept up by these new grandiose promises of false teachers and rethinking and reevaluating the Bible and its relevance to the modern world like we saw last week in so many pastors that we put up here. Can't separate Jesus from his word. So are you a follower or are you a fan? Which are you? There's a lot of fans out there. There's very few followers. Do you believe in God or do you believe God? Do you profess Christ or do you possess Christ? Because only if you possess him will you be ready to stand and endure to the end. I close completely with a, a song that we play so many times in our Feats of Strength ministry through the years. During a feat of strength we used to call the grip where one of us would just simply lock our hands together and you get about 10 or 12 people on this side and 10 or 12 people on this side of you. And you give them 10 seconds, and they're pulling with all their might, trying to pull your grip apart. Right? Silly example, but we used to play a song that went along with it called Hold On, He's Strong. So I want to read for you the words of that song and think about that example of the world on our arms trying to pull us and make us lose our grip on Christ and trying to pull us in opposite direction. This song, this rap song by a guy named Flame says this. says, hold on, he's strong. Hold on because our God is a warrior. This walk, it ain't easy. As a matter of fact, it gets hard. Now that you've enlisted for war, the battleground is your heart. There's going to be some stress and strain and discomfort involved. But my advice to you is to make your resolve. Remember that from Daniel? To fight for your joy in God's keeping grace. So at the end, you can say like Paul did, I've kept the faith. You see, hard, because narrow is the gate. And those who find it are few. I pray you complete the race. Because his yoke is easy. And his burdens are light. But that's the fight for us to rest and find in him delight. You see, our self-reliance and self-exaltation is still pacing in our souls as we battle with Satan. You see, it's unbelief that springs from our sinful pride that straight denies that what God supplies can really satisfy. But God is working for us even though we hate the struggle, indecisions make the ones that strengthen your faith muscle. Hold on, he's strong. Look at the brother or sister beside you and tell him, hold on, he's strong. Because only the ones that endure to the end will be saved. I think of a 6, 10, Ephesians 6, verses 10 and 11 and verse 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And it goes on to explain that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the, the powers and the rulers of this dark world. And it says in verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in the midst of the evil day. We need to take up the full armor of God and be ready to stand because it's time to stand. It's time to stand, not to compromise. Jesus said the one who stands to the end will be saved. That means we must outtrust. That means we must outstand. That much means we must outlive through the power of Christ in us. And then we will be a survivor in a godless culture. That's being counterculture. That's 16 weeks of speaking truth and love. Let's bow our head and close our eyes.
I want to know if there's anybody here today who hasn't truly received Jesus. Maybe you've professed Jesus. Maybe you know about God in your heart. You have head in your mind. You have head knowledge, but you haven't surrendered your heart and life to him. You haven't surrendered your will for his will. If that's you today and you have not done that, I want you to do that right now today before you leave this place. I want you to speak to God with your heart. Pray this prayer from your heart to God's heart. Mean business with him and surrender all to him. Because I'm going to tell you, it's not the words that save you. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's the heart, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, that which you believe and are justified. It's your mouth you confess and are saved. Have you given him your heart? I mean, totally and completely and radically. If not, do it today. You may say, Brad, I've been in and out of church stores my whole life. I've even thought I committed my life to Christ earlier, but man, lately I've drifted away. I've been deceived. I've, I've, been, I've been beat up by the world, so to speak, and man, it's just really caused me to doubt my, my walk, my faith. I've, I've really given in in so many ways to the world and the culture, and today I want to make a change. I want to come running back to the cross today like the prodigal son. I want to come back and eat in my father's house. I'm tired of the pig slop. And I'm coming back today. If that's you, I want you to pray the same prayer and rededicate your life to him right now today. So to receive him for the first time and rededicate, just say, dear Lord, God, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I've fallen short of your glory. I've messed it up. And I'm in need of you, my Savior. So I'm humbling myself. And I'm repenting and I'm falling on my knees at the foot of the cross. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to down the cross that I could have forgiveness of my sin, to be redeemed, restored, and renewed. And thank you for raising him from the grave three days later, proving that he was God and that he is victorious over all hell, death, and the grave. And Lord, as such now, I want to be raised to walk in newness of life, and I claim that same victory right now in me. So, Lord, my commitment to you from this day forward is that every step I take and every breath I make will be for your glory. I will stand and I will live for you all the days of my life. Amen. If that's you and you prayed that prayer you accepted Christ for the first time, or you rededicated your life to him, would you boldly and unashamed right now raise your hand and say, Brad, I prayed that prayer. I meant business with God. I just want to pray for you. It's not a decision that means anything to me, but it should mean everything to you. It's making a stand for Christ. Amen. We give Jesus a big round of applause for his word and what he continues to do in and through it. I hope that this past 16 weeks has really given you a lot of truth a lot of understanding of God's word on so many of these issues and topics that we face today. And I hope today's message, as the Lord has closed it up, has inspired you to be a survivor, to make a stand in a godless culture and not waver. Because God's going to do great work through it. And you were meant, you were appointed to be here, make no mistake, for such a time as this. So it's time now to take all this and to go make an impact for Jesus. Thanks again for joining us today. The Lord is truly doing an amazing work and we would love for you to be a part of it. Check out the show notes for links to our website and social media pages. Or if you're ever in the Lynchburg or Forest, Virginia area, please come on by and join us in making an impact for Christ. Christ.